0: Welcome to Poetry, the podcast where, what the fuck was
1: our, what, what was it? Well, what can't you it? just reuse what you did last time? No. You do an intro. No. <laughs>
0: To poetry the podcast where
1: we try to understand poetry (laughs) yuki how the hell are you i'm good i started off the day super unproductive Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and then i had so i had to cancel the call with you because there was a student who was like it's like one of those situations where they're clearly going through a conflict but for whatever reason they're just like very afraid to like call it a conflict And I'm like, I don't know how that helps you in this situation. But it's just like, I feel like you should just say that there are some things that are tough. You're really scared to do that. Yeah,
0: I don't understand. Really scared. I, I feel like there are, I come across people all the time who are like, I don't hold grudges you know, there's no, there's no point in holding a grudge, you know, mm-hmm. like I let it go, blah, blah, blah. And then he, when you actually ask them about it, they have like such a strong visceral reaction. And it's like, but I, Hey, I don't hold grudges. Yeah, and It's like, it sounds like you're holding a grudge Yeah, and that's okay. It's not because it was like a horrible yeah. situation. It sounds like you are right to be mad. And
1: I think it's too vulnerable. Like when you talk about it with other people, it helps them understand where you're coming from. And it makes that situation a lot less horrible even if, you know, they can't fix that situation, they can't fix what happened to you and your kid or, you know, yeah. what happened to you with your partner. Yeah, but They can ma- hopefully like see why you're responding a certain way in a situation and give you some grace.
0: Yeah. I think that most people are afraid of the worst case scenario when you don't when they don't receive any grace yes Um, yeah and so they imagine any sort of conflict is going to result in like the person being like well this is it for us (laughs) I don't want to deal with you and all of your stupid feelings which does which actually does happen it does happen times but um like I've had experiences where people have come to me you know with an issue and then I'm like oh yeah let's like let's like talk it out and then they're like oh (laughs) (laughs) I've been super resentful this whole time.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And
0: I, you know, and I I definitely can relate to that as well. I've definitely been in positions where I've done the same
1: thing. Yeah. And they're afraid to seem petty or like Mm -hmm. incapable of dealing with it. And I'm like, I can't deal with most of these things. Like it requires like looking it in the face. Yeah. And like having a difficult conversation Not just with people, but like with that thing, you know, it's like you are this thing that caused me a lot of pain. And it wouldn't have caused anyone else a a lot of pain, but it caused me a lot of pain because and like it's like nothing's going to get fixed until it happens. And that's fine too. Like maybe you can live your life without that being fixed. You can live your life just carrying that baggage around. Mm -hmm. But you can be okay with saying that too, you know, but people aren't okay with saying that. Yeah.
0: Like kind of ties in. With the poem we're talking about today. Oh, really? Okay. Sweet Peace and Time. That was, it was the one that was about this communication yes. issue. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, do you want to, here, here's a thought. Do you want to listen to his reading of Sweet Peace and Time? I do.
1: No, I do. Okay. <laughs> really, someone like a butt was coming, but no, <laughs> oh, no. Right. Let's okay. listen to his version before okay. we get into it.
0: Okay, so I'm not going to play the version of Liang Li's reading that Yuki and I listened to because it's from the audio CD that comes with the hard copy of Behind My Eyes, and I'm pretty sure we don't have permission to use it. And unfortunately, I couldn't find a version of him reading it online, but if you are interested in hearing him bringing to life his own work, then I recommend getting a copy of the hardcover version of Behind My Eyes. In any case, back to the background interlude. If you'd like more information on Li-young Lee Lee's life, you can find that in episode one, Trading for Heaven. But since today's episode is all about speech, language, and miscommunication, I thought it might be interesting to hear Lee's own thoughts on the subject. The following quote is taken from an interview with Lee available on the Connect Literature channel on YouTube. In this interview, he describes language as a kind of safe haven. He states, It seems I've been looking for a safe place all of my life, a refuge. And it seems to me that language, particularly poetry, is a safe place. It's a kind of shelter and refuge. And I'm not sure what I mean by that, except it's a visceral experience when I'm writing poems. My own experience is that I'm creating a safe place for myself. Meanwhile, on a panel at the 2018 Macau Literary Festival, Lee takes a different perspective, describing language as a kind of crisis. He says, reading is like a crisis for me, Reading is like combat. You don't read Heraclitus for fun. You read Heraclitus because you want to know something, because you feel you don't know enough. Heraclitus has the answer. You don't read Su Tong Po because you're an aesthetic, you like poetry. No. You read Su Tong Po because your life is confounding to you. Su Tong Po clarifies it for you. So, reading for me is a crisis. That might be because I read in English, which is my second language. Or it could just be that language is a crisis. I sometimes wonder if maybe that's why people write poems, because they've been put into crisis. Somebody said all great poems are emergency poems. So that kind of crisis, you kind of feel that critical language that comes through in the poem. These seemingly conflicting descriptions of language are certainly reflected in Sweet Peace and Time, where the speakers seem to be wrestling with this very idea. Is language a crisis or is language a safe haven? I'm not sure that Lee answers this question authoritatively, but he certainly seems to demonstrate through his work that what can bridge from an emergency to a sense of safety is often poetry itself.
2: Sweet Peace in Time by Li Yong-li I said, What if by story you mean the shortcut home, but I mean voices in a room by the sea while days go by? She said, Open, the word is a child of eternity. Closed, the word is a child of time. I said, and what if by dream you mean to comb the knots out of your hair, to prune the orchard and correct the fruit, but I mean to travel by rain crossing the sea, or apple blossoms traversing a stone threshold with a word carved into it, abyss. She said, home. Speech is the living purchase of our nights and days. A traveler, it is a voice in its own lifetime. A river, it is a time sifted, time manifest. Laughter that sires the rocks and trees, that fetches in its ancient skirts the fateful fruits and seeds. I said, and what if when I say song, you hear a wing executing boundary by sounding the range of its hunting, but I mean time and the world measured by a voice's passage. She said, empty, the word is a wind in the trees. Full, it is a voice of a woman reading out loud from a book of names. I said, to speak is to err. Words name nothing. There are no words. She said, lure, slaughter, feast, blood in the throat, words turn, changing. I said, we should give up trying to speak or to be understood. It's too late in the world for dialogue. Death creates a blind spot. Man is a secret, blind to himself. And woman. Woman is. She said, our meeting here manifests a primordial threshold, a first and last place. Speech is no place at all, a shelter, ark, and cradle. Salt, but not salt, bread, but not bread, a house, but no house. I said, the garden was ruined long before we came to make a world of it.
1: Okay, so thoughts on Sweet Peace and time. Yeah, so I think when we talked about it before, we kind of came to the consensus that it's kind of about the imperfection of language would you kind of agree with that yeah yeah and like you know there's two people who are trying to I don't know if they're having this conversation at the same time but like you know they're trying to say like oh I'm trying to say something but it's what if you're understanding it like totally differently yeah
0: yeah and so that was why I had sent I think this was the first one that I actually chose to send to you Um, And it was just the first one when I pulled this book out was the first one that was like dog eared. Um, And I was like, okay, let's go with this. And I remembered that I had chosen this one that I liked this one because it captured what I felt when I was in a relationship with someone where we did not share a common language at all. I mean, and I didn't really know that at the time either. Like at the time I thought, Everyone speaks the same language, <laughs> and like in a relationship, there is just the, the language of relationships. We all have to learn it, and we've all learned it. Certainly, me. <laughs> and if there's any problem, anytime there's a problem, it can be communicated through. Um, and the problem isn't the language. The problem is you know, um, like Difference in our values. willingness. Uh, well, I I thought that the that the problem was like our willingness to expressed the language like the language is like this objective thing and that we just had to, you know, take part in. And so I liked this because it captured a feeling I had but could not articulate, which is that well what if what if the language is not objective and we're actually we have we're, we're sharing a common vocabulary. It would be like, you know, if if one of us was speaking Czech and another of us was speaking like Swahili or something. And for some reason, the two languages sounded exactly the same, but like the the context and the grammar and the syntax and the idioms were somehow all different, you know. And so it was like, these are all words, I know, but like, why isn't this matching up? you know? Um, and so I liked the way he was able to capture this experience of communicating and, and communicating so earnestly you know, and like so much wanting to be understood and so much wanting to understand and just like being at a complete impasse. I, 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 so I loved it
1: for being able to convey that, um, so expertly. Yeah. 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 When, when you said before that you were, you know, in a really, I think you said you were in a relationship with someone and you didn't share the same language. Like I thought you meant like you literally did not speak the same language, um, but it it was like you spoke the same language but you weren't yeah 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 like we, yes, we both up.
0: spoke english yes. <laughs> but the, there was a like a language of of being together that i thought was like an objective thing that was that yeah. very much wasn't and i once i figured that out i became willing to learn the other person's language but the other person was either not willing or i suspect actually not really capable of learning my language mm-hmm. and i now that I understand that now that I have, you know, more maturity myself would be interested to have that experience of, of just comparing meanings, not just to, to see if that helps the relationship, but just to, just out of curiosity, just to see what that would yield.
1: Yeah. I think it's like hard to even know when you need to ask that question. Yeah. Because yes. just, it seems so obvious, you know, it's like, yes, yeah, it's hard to take that step back. Yeah. I think that that's, that's one of the key things
0: is that it, exactly, it seems so obvious. Um, you know, what does it mean to dream? Well, everyone has dreams. So we obviously don't need to parse that out. Right. But, and yet. Clearly you, you know, do. <laughs> yeah, clearly you do, because you have this experience of, of meaning completely different things when you say to dream.
1: Yeah.
0: One of the things you said when we were sending notes back and forth when when I mentioned this experience of not being able to communicate in a relationship, you noted that in the poem though, like they don't share the same language, but he's able to understand that there is a difference. Oh. Yeah, that was your thought. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're
1: impressed by yourself. <laughs> Oh the beauty of my faulty faulty memory. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah yeah yeah, I do kind of remember that. Kind of the the sense that he's able to guess what she might be thinking um and like where the limit between him and her starts. So I mean, I think that, you know, it's it maybe maybe what that points to is like it's something, you know, that that discrepancy and understanding is something that you can only be aware of when you have that intimate understanding of someone else, yeah, yeah, so like you know if if I were talking to someone I didn't know at all, and you know we were talking about dreams, like maybe our you know our assumption is that we have a shared understanding of dreams, but you know, because I know you really well, then I would be like, oh, you know what, like maybe she has like a different cosmology or a different um, yeah. time frame when she thinks about dreams because. I know this and that about her, you know.
0: I mean what what I think is interesting is that like he that's what he's doing. I mean he there's this interesting comment on sort of the limits of of empathy because he's able to position himself in such a way that he understands that what he is saying is not necessarily what she is saying, but he still doesn't know what she's saying. Right, And so there's still, there's still like a gap. And so it's like, you can never fully inhabit the other person's space. You can never fully inhabit their positionality, but in recognizing that there's a difference, then you are opening yourself up to some sort of convergence or some sort of like
1: reconciliation. Do you have a sense that like, they're trying to give up on speech, but they're not trying to give up on that connection and that empathy? You know they said something like, we should we should just give up trying to use words, yeah, well, it seems like only he
0: is giving it up because it's like so the woman seems so much more comfortable with the mystery of it and is sort of like, you know, this is how it is. and And she's offering these these like riddles, and she's comfortable offering these riddles and seems to not really have so much of an issue with him not necessarily being able to decode them. And so it it does seem like he is sort of throwing up his hands and saying, well, you know, we were never going to get this speech thing anyway. But we're here regardless. And we're trying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I was I was reading over her her lines and his response to them. Home speech is the purchase, the living purchase of our nights and days. A traveler is a voice in its own lifetime. You know, I don't think I realized until this moment like which parts were her and which parts were him. Mm-hmm. My favorite line is hers, actually. I didn't realize this. the The fateful fruits and seeds just sounds so good. Which one is that? Where is that one? It's at the the bottom of the first page. Um, she says, "Home speech is the living purchase of our nights and days. A traveler does a voice in its own lifetime." A river, it is time sifted, time manifest, laughter that sires the rocks and trees mm-hmm. that fetches in its ancient skirts the fateful fruits and seeds. I'm like, oh, take me along on that ride. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that one your favorite? I just it's so rollicking. It just sounds so <laughs> good. Um, but I I like in that in that stanza, in you know, where she says, um, uh, lore slaughter feast blood in the throat words turn changing I think you're right like there is much more of an acceptance of language having multiple meanings and it's it is a lot of things at once yeah
0: it yeah it's so I mean that's the so the the line that you pulled or the stanza that you pulled seem to be pointing to like the, the the positive potential of speech and then there are other places in the poem where it seems to be pointing more to like the way in which it create, creates an obstacle to understanding. Which one? To speak as, so he, so she, she is pointing out this, this positive aspect of, in the lines that you pulled out. And then like the bottom of the second page, I said, to speak is to err. Words name nothing. There are no words. Right. She said, lure, slaughter, feast, blood in the throat. Words turn changing. So there's like, yeah, there's just, there's a whole range of potential in speech. when it's home, it like you know, it's rollicking and can be uh, generative, I-, I suppose. And then when it's not when it's, I guess from another perspective, I guess, it's not necessarily that it's not home, but that it's um maybe always in some way a little bit of a mistake to try and convey anything through speech. I mean, because it is, I mean, to a certain extent that that's, then that's true. I mean, because everything is, I mean, speech is just like, I mean, speech is never the thing itself It's the thing that we're using to try and make sense of the thing itself. And so there's a lot to go wrong in that,
1: even with positive intent and even with, you know, a lot of positive potential. And so you're saying he is kind of drawing our attention to like where we misunderstand and she's drawing our attention to how language can be generative and productive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally see that now. It seems like it. What do you think this means? Our meeting here manifests a primordial threshold at the very end. Well,
0: so a lot. There are a lot of this poem escapes me, to be honest. Like this is like this is one of those where it's like I get the gist, but every line is not necessarily legible to me. Mm -hmm. This one seemed to me to be sort of reflective of the last line. And not not just the last line, but there's a lot of um, uh, garden imagery throughout, or like like paradise type imagery. Mm-hmm. So I, it seemed to me to be a re- reflective, a little bit of that that we're here reflects these not necessarily divine, but the, these these origins. And so it, it's so okay. So to me, it it it's it reflects the origins of where speech breaks down which goes back to origins in general which is just like of like being human or being you know life on the planet so it, so in that sense like the that there is this issue you know in communication is not it's not necessarily that it's a bad thing or at least the way i'm reading it is that it's not necessarily a bad thing it's that this was this was so written into the code of being a human trying to speak to another human that this is just one more way in which we reflect that aspect of being human.
1: Yeah. 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 Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So like our meeting here is kind of like this, this uh, back and forth discussion that we're having about, you know, is it possible to understand each other? And her saying is, you know, our meeting here, this conversation, this is like representative of, just the way that we are our human nature from the time of the ark, yeah <laughs> you know yeah. from the first place from the garden of eden like this was just the way that we were cooked um, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and you know so a thing can be called salt and it's not salt and that kind of thing and it's interesting like he, he like kind of holds on to the negative perspective of it, to the very end he's like man this garden was ruined um, <laughs> she's like that's just the that. it's just the garden, yeah, 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 maybe that's a little bit about why, um you know he says, man is a secret blind to himself, and woman woman is, maybe you know it's like men are unwilling to accept the truth, <laughs> and women are more willing to just accept the way things are, yeah, maybe.
0: I mean, that, that line um, was interesting to me because there, there is this kind of idea in culture that women are so mysterious, that we have these just like inner depths that can't be we known. Do. That, men are, that men are so simple. And so they're, they're easy to be understood. They might be blind to themselves, but they're easy to, they're easy to be understood. Like we can contain multitudes, but men are just like simple yeah. creatures. <laughs> yeah and i don't like that idea i've never really liked that idea it kind of takes the onus off of the like the man in this relationship to like try and understand you know like it's not that women are just you know mysterious and you can never understand them they have um um hidden depths that you can never really see it's just that women are socialized a little bit differently you know, we communicate or at least a lot of us tend to communicate differently from men because we're socialized into different peer groups, you know, and so it's it's we we learn basically two completely different sets of rules for how to communicate. Um, this is very anecdotal, but I I do often find that like men seem to be a little less willing to know themselves <laughs> than women. They seem just a little bit less open to like, understanding their own thoughts and motivations like they want to have them but they don't really want to know why they're there um and again very anecdotal I can't make any you know generalization about men in general from that just from you know the people that I have known but I I don't know that that reflects anything more than I guess social socialization yeah I'm just I'm just unconvinced of women being so mysterious
1: yeah, I I would agree. I I think that it there's nothing like fundamentally different about men and women at a biological level that allows women to contain multitudes and men to not. Right. I think it is it is just socialization and I think you know I'd be really curious to hear, you know, people who you know if, if there was someone who didn't live in you know a very male dominated society. You know, I think the reason why women and you know, other marginalized people, they have to think about, okay, how, how is this situation perceived by the dominant power? And in the United States, it's like a man, a white man and women and, and other folks, like you're kind of in every situation you're primed to think about, okay, I have my own way of perceiving this, but a man is going to have this perception of it, so I need to be prepared for how this person is going to respond to the situation. I need to be prepared yeah. to react. Whereas, yeah. like, if you're the person in power, like you don't need to think about other people, right? Like you, you yeah. only have to think about like how you are going to respond. Because if someone else responds negatively, or you know something like you have the power in that situation, like you mm-hmm. can be like, "Well, your opinion is less valid than my opinion, yeah." <laughs> um, yeah. So we're gonna go with what I think, yeah. um, and so. Because of the way our society is set up, I think women have become more able to contain multitudes, you know? Oh, it's like, uh, like we talked about like code switching too, you know, it's like people who are able to do that, that ability is so tied to being able to see something from so many different perspectives. Like if I speak this way, then this person will be more comfortable and then I'll be more Mm -hmm. accepted and, you know, things Mm -hmm. like that. So yeah, I don't love it. I don't love that we have to code switch. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That
0: double consciousness,
1: yeah, Du Bois calls it. Um,
0: Uh Yeah, talking, he was speaking about Black people in a white dominated society of having to learn, you know, how to be in that society, but also being a Black person having a different consciousness. Mm -hmm. Um, Double consciousness is what he calls that. Um, Yeah, I definitely think that there's something to that. I also think, kind of related to that, in terms of women being like being able to have more multitudes because of, you know, this 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 tension between having to understand the dominant power and then their own um, their own positionality. I think that there is also something about just like women. Well, we talked about this the other day, actually, of of women being able to experience greater intimacy and being allowed to go to greater depths, both with other people and to a certain extent with with ourselves mm. and so it can seem like I've never met a, a man that I thought was like inherently more shallow than a woman but I do find that on average men tend to be less willing to investigate themselves but that's just been my experience and so I, I like there there does seem to be like a lack of intimacy for men that can seem like they're simple I and mean, it can make it it can make it seem like they're simple it can make it seem like they don't have the same depths of, of experience or perception or whatever, but really they do. And the fact that they don't know it is just like making a huge problem for the rest of us <laughs> because it's like you should know, you know, or it might not necessarily should, but like it would be beneficial to know and and to investigate, but we just, we don't live in a culture that necessarily encourages that. I don't know if it's, if it's necessarily even encouraged for women. I think that just like in the act of being able to have more intimacy with other people, then you tend to, you know, true intimacy at least, then you kind of have to know yourself a little bit more. And so I, I think that we have more opportunities. Like you said, we have more opportunities for for multitudes. When I look at this, I mean, I, like those particular lines, I mean, I kind of wonder you know, like what the argument is that like prompted this.
1: And it was probably just like, oh, that's an interesting question.
0: You know, it's probably he did something, you know, maybe his wife got upset and he just like couldn't understand, you know, like, well, like, why are you crying? And then she says why? And it still is just like, well, I wouldn't cry about that. So why are you crying? You know, like something like that. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm projecting a lot here, but it's just like, (laughs) I just have this feeling that whatever prompted those particular lines would would maybe make me roll my eyes a little bit and just be like oh you didn't get that which is of course the whole point
1: you know of just
0: like why, well why didn't you get that that's
1: so obvious you know okay I have a question it seems unrelated but I think it is so like I, I'm very intrigued by this question of like what prompted this whole poem
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then that made me like look at the title of the poem sweet peace in time and I'm like why the hell is it called sweet peace in time
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so when you were talking about, like, you know, maybe there was some, like, conflict or something, I, like, didn't get that vibe at all. Like, I didn't feel like this was happening on the tails of a conflict, <laughs> like, <laughs> on the tails of a misunderstanding. Because she seems so, like, calm and, like, in this, like, very beautiful kind of space. Yeah. Um, and he he doesn't seem, like, in an angry space either. He seems like a very, like, intellectual kind of questioning space. Um, yeah, yeah. And like in that moment, I looked down and saw the title and I was like, why the hell is it called Sweet Peace and Time? Any thoughts?
0: I agree. I, I feel like he's his his sort of the tenor of that he's bringing to this is more like confused and curious. Mm-hmm. But like tr- trying to get to either the answer to something or at least come to some sort of resolution in some way. Yeah. And so I wonder. So I, I feel like there are perhaps two ways of reading the title. Sweet peace and time, meaning um, the time of the poem, like uh, the lines where he says, the word is a child of time. She said, open, the word is a child of eternity. Close, the word is a child of time. I think I, may be bring, I might be bringing more into those two lines than is intended, but I read close, the word is a child of time as being a negative counterpart to the first line that time being limited in scope and eternity being eternity being limitless and, and um, containing like all possibilities and so time in the poem has a very 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 slight negative connotation but I don't know if that's true I think that that the time of the poem is the time in the title but I don't quite know what to make of time in the poem to be honest it, but it seems um, like I'm, I'm sort of conceptualizing it in a way that I, I, that I really can't communicate in words, which is so fitting, but like, um, you ever see that, you ever see that cartoon? I think it was on Rocky and Bullwinkle. And it was like, it was a little kid and his dog Sherman, and they would travel through time, Yeah, yeah. Would go through time. It was like a, like a, it'd be like a loopy, like spiral. And they're like a like, the oh, way back machine. Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, we're like suspended in time. So there's a way in which I'm interpreting it like that, like sweet peace, but like suspended in time. You know, like a loopy sort of way back between oh. thing, which I don't think is right. <laughs> but that is what I that is what I'm thinking of. But then the other th- the other ways to read it is that like sweet peace in time, as in something that occurs eventually. You know, like it comes something that comes in time, sweet peace in time. And all of that to say, I don't know what the title of this poem means. <laughs>
1: I like this grappling, though. And I like the, like, meandering that you're, like, the journey that you're taking me on. (laughs) I'm curious
0: to note because there are, in fact, you were the one who pointed out when he talks about the word, that the word is is capitalized and almost certainly is a reference to the biblical word, which would make, I don't know, it it, it kind of, like, like, cinches a thread a little bit through the poem conceptually, like, kind of tightens things up a little. But I still don't always know what to do what to make of the capitalized words time world
1: world and world
0: yeah world word time and so i and i don't i don't know that i'm i'm well versed enough in his poetry or the cultural background that he's coming from meaning a result of of his christian upbringing i don't know if i know enough to interpret exactly what is what he's doing with those
1: with those words okay i have a couple of thoughts but they're not fully formed okay so i i think you're right what you were saying about time with a capital t being like a limited time like the time that we have together or the time that we have on earth as like you know my lifetime um as opposed to eternity which is like you know eternity <laughs> um and so sweet peace in time is like, okay, we have this very limited time together and okay, like we're, we're enjoying this sweet time together, this limited time together. And we're misunderstanding each other a little bit. And for him, it's a little bit frustrating. And for her, it's, it just is what it is. And it's like, she can find the beauty even in the misunderstanding.
2: mm mm-hmm.
0: You had you had like two thoughts and you only said one of them.
1: Uh I don't remember what my other thought was. Oh. The first thought was me just agreeing with you that time is like a limited time. Yes. And yeah. the title Sweet Peace in Time is like it's nice that it's called Sweet Peace in Time not like we can never understand one another in time. Mhm. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, the other thing too is that I mean, speech is time in the poem. In in the lines that you pulled out, um, speech is like a river. It is time sifted and time manifest. And you know, in in the other line when he says the word is a child of time, time is speech. It is it is like language in some sense. So I mean, I, I there's probably some sense some sense in which sweet peace and time just means the peace that comes from uh, like divesting yourself of trying to make sense of language, um, or or having peace in speech by not attempting to understand one another, or something
1: like that. Yeah, or maybe also like it's sweet that we can have this conversation about how we mean different things.
0: Yeah, that the that the peace comes from from the the riddles and the mystery and trying to decode
1: and. Yeah, like you were saying, like so many people have trouble even understanding the concept that when we say the same word, we might perceive it differently. Mm -hmm. But like these are two people that clearly are like, yeah, isn't it amazing? Like, yeah, say the same thing and mean two totally different things. And to for for two people to at least understand that, yeah, like that's really beautiful. Even if they're yeah, yeah, they're like acknowledging that like when when we say a word or anything we do not mean the same thing and that's cool (laughs) i think you're totally right about that
0: because that there is a sense of like just utter wonder and amazement even though it's a little bit you know it's confusing and like frustrating and a little bit upsetting there is this sense of like oh so like you meant the shortcut home (laughs) because i meant Voices in a room by the sea while the days go by, you know? That's wild. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and I have to, you know, and when I was talking earlier about like how interesting it would be to have that experience with someone, uh, it does provoke just a sense of curiosity, you know, mm-hmm. um, that we can have this thing that we all think we understand, you know, it's like we all, we all agree, like, this is what we're talking about. And then, you know, once you actually get people to give a definition, then it's completely different. Yeah um in my do I need to I, should I not get into that? all right look in religious studies in the field in which I work this comes up a lot because this is like a whole there's a whole branch of of theory that deals with language and speech and signs and symbols we call, we we talk about religion as being an, an empty signifier or a, or a floating signifier it's one of those things that doesn't actually uh, everyone thinks they know what they're talking about. But then when you actually ask people, what is religion? Then you get like a million different answers. And it turns out we're actually not talking about the same thing, we're just using the same word. So there's like a little bit of that in this, this like floating signifier, empty signifier thing going on. You know, most people can would probably be able to tell you the definition of a story. What's your definition of a story? Wait, don't tell me yet. Think of yours and I'm gonna think of mine and then we can say. It's a really hard question, actually. Is it? It is. Well, then maybe my point is completely moot, because I was going to say that this is a... He is making these words that would not necessarily be considered to be empty signifiers into empty signifiers. But maybe all speeches is just composed of various empty signifiers. Or maybe Um, I'm just bad at defining things. (laughs) Let's hear it. Let me hear yours. And I'll tell you what mine was. I already have mine.
1: Okay, a story is a description... Of an event with some kind of impact. Yeah, that's all I got. That's not okay. So, my definition wasn't far off. It was um
0: a story is a fictional or non fictional narration of events. So, we both had events. Oh, okay. We both had the narration, I think, description are kind of yeah. similar. Nar- nar- they have like slight differences in meaning, but. they're they're, that's quite similar yeah and as you were talking it reminded me actually that I have actually I have had this experience I've had almost this exact experience where I had a a partner who I would say tell me a story and when he would tell me a story okay if I if
1: I asked him to tell me a story what would you what kind of story would you tell me Would you want like a story from my life or like a story like like a fairy tale tell me a story. I'm asking you what kind of story. Tell me a want. no, tell me a story. Okay, fine. It would probably be like a once upon a time there was a bear living in the woods kind of story.
0: Okay. That's a great <laughs> example because first you ask the question that one or both of us should have asked, which is what is a story? Like what the hell do you mean when you say story? Because when I said tell me a story, I was always hoping that he would like make up some like dumb fairy tale, because that's what I would do when I was telling a story. Oh. He would always tell me a story from his childhood every single time. And so if you know, obviously eventually I realized like if I asked him to tell me a story, he's gonna tell me, which that was not a problem to be clear, but I just always, but I remembered just being like, Oh, this is not what I expected you to say at all. And it would always be um not just a story, but a but a but a really concrete story. It was never about like this happened and I felt this way, it would, be, it would just be like a narration of a series of events. You know, this followed, this followed, this followed, this. Um, and it was so unlike the way I thought and the way that I narrated stories. And it was just, you know, maybe one of the things that should have given me an indication that we were not on the same page about a lot of things. Not that that was like, you know, indicative of like, we should break up, but just that it should have alerted me that like, we are not experiencing the world in the same way. And one of us is going to have to realize that and account for it in some way. Um, And it's definitely going to be me because it's (laughs) not going to be him. (laughs) Um, But that's, that's, I totally forgot about that, that I had this exact experience. So if I were writing this poem, I would say, what if by story, you mean the time you adopted a chicken, you know, at four years old. But I mean, when when some bear like a fable yeah like climbed up into a castle and then became a princess and then everyone decided they hated him and so they they killed him and buried his body and you know from the ground sprung up an apricot tree
1: horrible that was poisonous
0: (laughs) (laughs) and who's to say which story is better you know who's to say definitely the first one and not yeah. mine. but <laughs> <laughs> but yours was off the cup i feel like if you had a little time to workshop it would be better
1: yeah i do yeah there was a lot there to work with yeah yeah
0: yeah <laughs> have you had that experience of of meaning one thing with sky and then it but like he has a
1: different meaning or he interprets it completely differently than how you meant it I, i'm sure i have i can't think of a good example um but i'll give you i'll give you an example like from this like popped into my head from the very beginning when you were talking about you know thinking we were speaking the same language and one thing i see very often with students who are um you know trying to learn english is that i think there's this very firm belief that like if only i could speak english better then i could be understood yeah and like it's just one step it's just one tool to getting yourself understood yeah and like I have seen the frustration in students when they're like I speak English like you know and and I've experienced that myself too you know it's like this is not a language issue I, I have that issue with my parents right I told you this it's like growing up I would feel like really insecure about my language skills because. Like I just could not be understood by my parents. And so I just assumed that it was a language issue, but it wasn't, you know, like it, like we're just very different people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you pin so much of understanding on language and like are unwilling to accept that understanding is just so, so like language is just the tip of the iceberg. And understanding mm-hmm. someone else it's like really overwhelming and horrible <laughs> you know it's like how like I have to do so much more work to be understood
0: well I mean do you because it seems like there is just a, a limit to how much that they, they can understand you and it doesn't really seem like there's much
1: you can do yeah well I think that's true I think like you know for for my parents I think there's only you know we're just very different people from very different generations. But I think for students, you know, like my whole thing is to like get people to be able to communicate and work effectively together across lines of difference, right? And one of those lines of difference is language. And I think that for a lot of my students, they're like, okay, if I can cross that bridge, if I can eliminate that line of difference, then we can collaborate well together, we can communicate well. But then they see That you know, they eliminate that—not eliminate, but like you know, they. We had two people from different countries that are communicating this lingua franca of English, and they're finding that like they still aren't able to work together. Mm -hmm. There's like these invisible blocks that they haven't quite figured out, and they probably haven't figured out for themselves, right? Like, what is it from my you know cultural background or my upbringing that is coloring the lenses of how I see this world, and like how is my perception of the world not lining up with this other person's perception of the world Um, and getting to that point of like I just went I just crossed off this huge hurdle and there's like just miles and miles of hurdles ahead of us Mm -hmm. Um, and like I think I've accepted that with my parents like like those hurdles are just not gonna get yeah hurdled well I don't know what you do to a hurdle left jump over them
0: yeah. yeah they're not going to get left those <laughs> hurdles are not getting lept. Those, <laughs> those hurdles. Thing.
1: yeah they're just gonna stand there and they're just gonna be hurdles you know unlept unlept they're just yeah be unlept hurdles um but there's a lot of hope for the students that I work with that they can leap those hurdles um yeah yeah we, we have f- more thoughts about this poem I was just going to ask you if you had any final thoughts
0: you said your favorite line already, so I think I'm gonna pull out my favorite lines. Okay. Um, I think it's actually the the opening and closing of the poem. I said, "What if by story you mean the shortcut home, but I mean voices in a room by the sea while days go by?" I think that that difference automatically like pulls you in to, if not conflict, then this like like interesting story of difference. And then the last line. I said the garden was ruined long before we came to make a world of it which is a great great fucking line it's really good i mean because it's it's not only speaking to like the futility of what they're doing you know like like kind of the way like there's a there's a little bit of like arrogance in living at all <laughs> you know just like people have lived before you think you're going to do it better <laughs> than these other people who have lived before you and I, I mean, I, I just, I, I love the idea of trying to, to make a world of it anyway, you know, of making the attempt, even if like in the attempt, you're sort of like, okay, let's maybe call it right now, you know, but th- making the attempt, even though it was already ruined yes, you know, in, in this imperfect situation, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, I just, I like that idea a lot.
1: We're just doing our best. We're doing our best. Yeah. I live by that I totally live by that like we're never gonna fully understand each other you know we're just gonna keep messing up but we're just doing our best I feel like I said that exact same set of words to my student this morning you know you should you should say
0: you should have said the garden was ruined long before we came to make a world of it (laughs) you would be like huh (laughs) (laughs) we're just doing our best we're just doing our best. Yeah. I I mean, I, I just, because the, the poem is not just about miscommunication. It's about the entire, the way in which speech is conceptual in general. It's about speech in general. And I think that this is like, this poem is doing, it's doing, it's actually doing like a lot of heavy lifting theoretically in terms of delineating what speech is and marking out the pieces that, that bridge, you know, between people, the things that you know our obstacles and and he's doing it all like pretty concisely and really um, really really mysteriously i like the i like i also like the tenor of like mystery and riddle in the poem
1: yeah he does a lot of the riddling mhm um, i like that a lot yeah i like it it's like the world is complex bread but not bread house but no house yeah
0: yeah that's a second a, a, a close second favorite was that one
1: look this up there's something it's like niggling in the back of my brain it's called a koan yeah that's I mean what it koans. is right yeah yeah a paradoxical anecdote or riddle what is an example of a koan what is the sound of one hand clapping That's a koan is it yeah i thought that was like a way to put somebody down when they did something poorly what why what is it? really is it That's what I thought, but I probably just misunderstood. (laughs) Oh,
0: um, another one is if you see the Buddha on your path and kill him, that's another one. Um, What? I mean, yeah, they're meant to be, you know, sort of puzzling and you're supposed to, you know, grapple with an interpretation. It's supposed to be meditate like a contemplative practice, but Mm. I feel like that was like,
1: like, nobody's clapping for you.
0: No, it's a, it's a koan. um,
1: That was the first example that came up.
0: I mean, I think it's probably one of the, the most famous. I, I don't I don't I, I don't think it's a very effective burn.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't. Yeah, you might not. say,
0: what is the sound of no hands clapping? Look, <laughs> I, 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 it's just I'm just saying it functions better as a koan than as a burn. I agree. You know? I agree. I agree. And that, that's what this reminds you of.
1: Well, I clearly didn't really understand what a koan was, but it was just like making me think of that as a thing.
0: Well, this actually reminded me of something um, also out of well, koans are I think from Zen tradition, but there is a very famous passage from the Upanishads where the a sage is talking to his guru, or a um, a student is talking to his guru, and and trying to figure out what what Brahman is, and. He goes through this list of things and the guru keeps repeating, you know, not this, not that. What is Brahman? Not this, not that. And it goes through this list of things, you know. And it kind of, so it kind of reminded me a little bit of that, actually. I mean, I think it's doing a little bit of a different thing in that God is, or Brahman is outside of speech, outside of what we conceptualize in material reality. So it's not this, not that. Mm-hmm. Um but there's like a similar kind of thing happening where he, where in this poem, he's talking about speech or this is the, the woman in the poem speaking, salt, but not salt, bread, but not bread. That speech is that which gestures to salt and allows us to make sense of salt and communicate salt, but it is not actually salt. You know?
1: I have a thought though. Yeah. Which is, I think is something like, you know, like the divine, it's like hard to capture in words, but I feel like there is an acceptance of it's this and that, mm-hmm. you know, instead of like it's not this, it's not that mm-hmm. because words can't capture something so profound, yeah. but I have this feeling that in this poem, he is accepting her perception of a word and his perception of a word,
2: mm-hmm.
1: like it is. It is this and that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know there, what there's that... a range. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, we were
1: talking before about he like the the man is saying, oh, like I can't capture anything. And she's like, no, you can. You know, it's it's everything. Mm-hmm. So maybe like he is he is the voice of not this, not that, and she's the voice of this and that.
0: Does that make any sense? Yeah, that does make sense. It does make sense
1: and maybe it's like something that's really profound you you can't you have like no hope you have no hope of capturing it in words but something where like two people are trying to grapple with a shared understanding it's like just between those two people just in this lifetime then like maybe we can come up with two just two yeah yeah are we done did we finish poetrying? I think we, I think we poetried. Poetried. Yeah, I think we did it. Yeah. Okay. We did it.
0: That's it for us today. The quotes from Leung Lee were taken from an interview posted on the YouTube channel Connect Literature and a panel posted on the YouTube channel The Script Road. All links will be available in the show notes, as always. Our music is from Les FM. For questions, comments, concerns, or if you have a poem you'd like for us to discuss, hit us up at wepoetried at gmail.com. That's we.poetried at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.
1: See y'all next time.